Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. There are certain personality traits or like ways of being that are sort of more closely aligned to what is sort of culturally normal in France, like being introverted and being like a private person. And and like in France, there's like a really strong intellectual tradition of being philosophical and studying history and and appreciating the arts and appreciating, you know, beauty and finer things and focusing on, you know, certain aspects of life. And the people that I think, the Americans that I think tend to move to France are the ones who really have a strong affinity for a lot of those things as well. That was a clip from my interview today with Allison Grant Luness, who is a relocation expert that specializes in helping people move to France permanently or temporarily. Now, you could almost divide this conversation into two different buckets because we do get into the practical aspects of moving to France. We talk a bit about visas and some of the areas to consider But there is a much bigger overarching conversation going on here around moving abroad in general. So if you're somebody who is considering moving abroad, maybe lives abroad now and is considering some new places, a lot going on here. We talk about that idea that you just heard in the clip, this this concept of your personality traits matching with another culture and what happens when you're not connecting to your own culture and Why do other places maybe feel more at home? This leads into a whole conversation about expat life. I've been living abroad for a long time, as many of you know, uh, listening to the show. If you're new to the show, I live in, in Norway. Allison, of course, lives in France. And we get into some of the nuances of life abroad, talking about how things change over time, what that might mean to your everyday life, and This really leads to the bigger question of how can you live your best life abroad, no matter where that is in the world, and what can you do to set yourself up for that? Something Allison and I discuss. We also share the five main ways you can apply to legally live in another country, any country. Some things to consider if you want to get a better understanding of how to avoid undesirable parts of a country where you may not feel welcomed as an immigrant for some of the reasons you might want to consider moving abroad, how a candy souvenir led to a life of living in Paris for Allison. She shares a concept I had not heard before on high context and low context cultures. You'll hear what that's all about. A power question you can ask yourself when you're abroad that might help you see 
a situation differently, no matter what culture you're in, how Allison turned her passion for France into a business, how she spent only 450 US dollars for a master's degree, and so much more. It's all happening in this show. Plus, I'm going to share a bit about a big travel fail I've made this summer. Knowingly, I knowingly made this fail, but even still, the reality of it it can hit hard at times. And anyway, if you see me making this mistake again, uh, you have my permission to, I don't, I don't want to say smack me, but um, maybe give me a nudge and just say, hey, Jason, what, come on, dude, you said you weren't going to do this again. What are you doing? Um, and, you know, who knows what else is going to come up in this episode. Let's go find out, shall we? So buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here. And welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. So excited to have you here. And I have to say, after spending six weeks back in my home country, almost six weeks, recently getting back from a road trip here to southern Norway, which I'll talk about later in the show, I am very pleased with where I live. Now, it's summer here. It's super nice. But it's just nice to come back to a place that's not your home country and feel like you've come home. And that's a big part of today's conversation. Where can you go where you can have that same feeling? And right off the bat, we get into the whole idea of the, the personality traits, the, the innate parts of, of you, and of what make you who you are. Does it help you live your best life abroad if... Some of those naturally match up with the way a culture generally behaves or some of the core values of a culture, I should say. And this is very difficult to uh, pick apart because cultures, just like people, contain multitudes. And sometimes, uh, perhaps I'm just speaking for myself, but it might be better if some of those aspects of a culture don't line up with your personality because maybe it's just that they're good for you, right? Like I'm from the East Coast. I grew up in the East Coast of the U.S. Very kind of fast-paced, you know, let's let's go do things, let's get it done. And so for me to slow down in a culture, to go to a place like Costa Rica or Norway here where I live, where people tend to just be more relaxed, it's it rubs off on you, right? So th- these are... Some of the questions that I am thinking about when I'm putting this episode together for you, of course, we're focused on France specifically. I thought it would be great to have Allison on. First of all, I never heard of a relocation expert, which is something uh, that is a title that she does professionally. She helps people move to France with her website, yourfranceformation.com. You can get all those links in the show notes. And she runs the Americans in France Facebook group with over 15,000 members. And she had a lot to say about 
not just moving to France, but living abroad now. If you go into the world tourism rankings, you can see that France was the most visited country in the world. 89 million people set foot on French soil. So I figured there might be some listeners out there, at least some who are interested in moving to France specifically, but I also wanted to keep this broad enough where we could have a conversation around moving abroad, living in other cultures, and what that might mean that could apply to everybody and some of the overarching strategies and processes and things to think about. So I hope you enjoy this show. I loved putting it together. It gave me a lot of chance to reflect on my own journey to life abroad and where I'm at right now. On the other side of this interview, hope you stick around because I want to share some personal updates around my recent travels and the big fail that I've been making all summer. <laughs> Knowingly, but uh, I don't think I want to do it again. So you hear what that's all about. I'll leave you with a nice quote from Bruce Lee as well which I don't fully agree with, but I do kind of vibe with the spirit of it. So stick around for all that after the interview. Now, let's get into the interview segment, and I will see you on the other side, my friend. <laughs> Allison Grant Luness. Yeah. Luness, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast. Where's your last name from? So my husband is French, but his parents are Algerian from the eastern region, Kabylie. So uh, they're from a a village near a city called Tiziuzu. And they, um, they're in his mother's in in her 80s now. So they, you know, were in Algeria when it was a French colony and then moved to France during um, the time after the after World War II when France sort of imported, uh, you know, encouraged a lot of immigration from the former colonies for like work in the factories and, and all of that stuff. So his parents moved to Eastern France back then. Uh, and that's where the name comes from. I'm going to make an assumption here that you self-identify as a Francophile. I do. Accurate. Yes. (laughs) From a very young age. um, Well, I wanted to ask you about this. Yeah. Do you remember when you first became a Francophile? Yeah. So my aunt, uh, my mom's sister, was a graduate student when I was young. And she spent a year doing a postdoc in a lab. She's a scientist. And she did a a postdoc in a lab in Paris. And so she was here for a year and she brought back like all of these fancy French things. I very strongly remember like she brought back the candied violets, which are from Toulouse. And I remember we would, I would go with my sister to her apartment to have sleepovers and she had this, it looked so beautiful and fancy. Like I had never seen candy like quite like this before. Um, And she had them on her bookshelf and we were only allowed to have one. And I thought it was so cool to like, eat a candied flower (laughs) and she taught me all of these words of French and my parents had come to visit and they brought me back like Paris Barbie or something um and so that was sort of what started me becoming interested in France and learning French and then I just started uh learning French formally in middle school in the seventh grade and 
just thinking like the whole time it was like this super fun game for me, like discovering how to say something with different words. It's always amazing to me the impact that an adult figure can have on a child. You just never know, right? I mean, that could have been, oh, I got this cool souvenir, check this out, and then you eat it and you don't think about it again. But in this case, this was a, a really a transformative thing for you, for your life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I recently messaged my sister because I, I have this like vivid memory of these violet these violet candies. And I remember exactly where they sat on her bookshelf. And to me, they were so special because like you could only have one, right? It wasn't like you were eating a whole package of, of these candies. And I saw them, we went to Toulouse uh, a couple of weeks ago during the school vacation. And I messaged my sister to see if she remembered them. And she's three years younger than me, but she had zero recollection. Didn't make an impact on her at all. Didn't make an impact (laughs) of her. Doesn't remember like, and you live in Paris for over 10 years. (laughs) Yeah. How does that work? I don't know. Well, I mean, it's hard with uh, curiosity, right? I mean, you think about being curious about France. It was really, you went down the rabbit hole of, of France, but so far down that, you know, you learned French and, and built your life around around France in many ways, which we'll talk about. Is, is there something innate in us as individuals that attracts us to certain places? I, I always wonder that because I feel like certain places that I visit when I'm there, it feels... A different kind of right? I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I I understand what you're trying to say, and I um, and I ask this when when I interview people who have moved to France. I ask them, you know, are there any ways in which like you feel really French or you feel, um, you know, you feel at home in France? And for me, I think that, or my understanding is that there are certain personality traits or like ways of being that are sort of more closely aligned to what is sort of culturally normal in France, like being introverted and being like a private person. And and like in France, there's like a really strong intellectual tradition of being philosophical and studying history and and appreciating the arts and appreciating, you know, beauty and finer things and focusing on, you know, certain aspects of life and the people that I think the Americans that I think tend to move to France are the ones who really have a strong affinity for a lot of those things as well. It's hard to, it's a little bit harder to pin down in terms of, of personality traits, but I'm thinking in terms of, um, you know, there, there's a particular thing in called um, high context and low context cultures, where in the U.S. we're very low context. We sort of say what we mean and we mean what we say. And like it doesn't go a lot deeper than that sometimes. And in France, there are definitely like very defined levels of you're an acquaintance, but not a friend. And you're a friend, but you're not a family member. And there are different you even invite them to different parties when you're having a wedding. Like you can have four parties on your wedding day and everybody will be invited to the church ceremony and a drink afterwards, but then only a certain number will be invited to the cocktail hour, and then even fewer will be invited to the dinner. And so you have, you know, it's acceptable to have multiple stages where I think in the U.S. we sort of treat everybody as though they're our best friend and we can very easily strike up a conversation in public or we can very easily, you know, start those relationships that seem, you know, very friendly, I guess for lack of a better word. And then it doesn't always go deeper than that. 
Whereas in, fr- in France, you sort of like always know where you stand with somebody and there's a definite progression to how the relationship deepens. It sounds like the the attraction might be taking a look at some of the things you value and matching that with your with the what a culture values. In this case, the cultural values of France may be a match for certain types of people. Like you mentioned personality traits, but not exactly that, right? Yeah, not exactly that. Also, yeah, I think values is probably as good or another good indicator of where you where you feel like you belong and where you feel like you know, you're at home because a lot of people, as I mentioned, the have, you know, they appreciate the philosophical and very intellectual tradition of France, which is not valued similarly in all parts of the U.S. like it is. Yeah. Here. I often wonder uh, as uh, somebody who's living abroad as well, if in the end, some of these things that you value that, that you may enjoy about being in a certain country. And, and there are other things, of course, that are not as enjoyable. I think we, we can't gloss over the challenges. In the end, maybe it's all just a wash. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, because, you know, some of the things you mentioned about the, the friendliness of Americans and, you know, sometimes it doesn't go deeper than that, but sometimes it does. And I miss that friendliness. That's one thing I really miss a lot uh, on the street. So I, I see that as right now in my life in this moment as not uh, as something I really miss. And, and maybe I don't want to say a negative part about living where I do in Norway, but it's just a different part that is a challenge for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have to say, I have to say, I do really appreciate when I go back to the U.S. Like I appreciate being able to strike up a conversation with everybody. Um, but I remember that when I was a young adult and a, and a teenager, like that was one of the things that kind of felt really isolating to me is like, oh, everybody's treating me as their best friend. But, you know, I don't I didn't feel like I had some of those deeper. It wasn't genuine. Right. I felt like it, I felt like it was, you know, and this was, you know, 90% teenage angst too, right? Like, and 10% or maybe a little more than that, like being an introvert and really valuing from a very young age, those sort of quantity, uh, quality over quantity friendships. But yeah, I felt like I had a lot of people who were friendly acquaintances, but, but not as many deep friendships. And here in France, it takes a very long time to develop those deep friendships. But once you've solidified the friendships, like you know that they're you're good for life. When you are outside of your home country, wherever you are, whether it's for an extended period of time or living abroad, I, I do feel like the appreciation for certain aspects of it skyrocket. But also, m- maybe that that stuff's easier to see than some of the the other things that take a little bit of distance and a little bit of cultural detachment to start to realize oh, I see some things ri- rising to the surface or, or maybe there's some patterns or, or upon reflection, hey, it, it's pretty weird that this society I come from is this way or that way. I never really noticed that until I got out of it. And I'm wondering for you, have there been any revelations about your home country and your home culture that has kept you abroad for so long or, or maybe it's just more life circumstance? I'm, I'm not sure what, what it, it is for you. Well, it's partly life circumstance and it's partly I love going back to visit my family in the U.S. I have a very difficult time imagining going back to live there. It's a lot of different things. Like, for for example, I'm, I'm sure you feel this way, too. I cannot fathom. I don't understand any of the language that is like 
insurance premium and copay and deductible and <laughs> the concept of, you know, I paid $7,000 to go and deliver my, you know, baby in a hospital. Like, I don't, I, I can't even fathom how Does somebody not navigates compute. health insurance. <laughs> right. Like, it, it, it makes zero sense to me. And I mean, the gun, the gun thing, you know, comes up a lot too, is that it's just not a thing here. It's very hard to understand, you know, it was already hard to, hard to understand when I lived there because I come from Massachusetts, like, which is very, has very strong gun laws and all of that. But the things that I already had difficulty understanding when I was living at home, like become even more difficult now that I'm more removed from them. Yeah, I was pretty amazed because we recently got a used car and I had to get insurance and I was on the phone for about two minutes and it was like, all right, well, I have everything I need. I was like, don't you need more information from me or so? It was just all sort of so easy. And I think part of that might be because Norway is a nation of around five and a half million people. So it's a lot of the systems are integrated and it's it's maybe a lot more easier to manage. That being said, I do feel like that can also be used as an excuse as to why there are some, uh, let's, let's be kind and call them inefficiencies in the U.S. <laughs> or uh, maybe systemic breakdowns or systemic fails, which, you know, to be fair, every society has their share of them. So we can, we, again, we'll get into some of the positives and negatives of living in France, but I just think this this is a, a part of the conversation I was I was intrigued to kind of dive into because the the perspective of a home country can't help itself but to change, I think, when you're out of it for so long. Yeah. Yeah. The longer I'm here and I'm 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 still having new experiences in France, right? Like I have a son who is seven and he started first grade this year. And so he moved up from he was in uh it's called a maternelle, which is three to three to five-year-olds in sort of like a preschool and pre-K and kindergarten um, school. And he moved up to first grade, which is real elementary school. And there are so many differences in the school system that, you know, drive me crazy. And I know about them because my husband's a teacher and I worked as a teaching assistant in a French elementary school back when I first came to France. And I have other friends who are teachers and none of it is a shock for me, but it's different experiencing it all firsthand as a mother um, rather than being a little bit more removed from it. And so there are still these new experiences that shock me and that make me uncomfortable. And I don't always know, am I reacting to this as an American and from the American perspective, or is this really not a normal, okay thing? Yeah. Well, I think what you just said is a really great power question to ask yourself in the moment, whether you're traveling through or living somewhere, right? If you're, if you're feeling, if you're experiencing a certain situation, that's a great sort of pause and reflect kind of question. I mean, insert, you know, whatever country you're from into that, into that question. But, you know, in some ways it's those surprises that keep things interesting for living abroad too. Because at a certain point when you live abroad, I think there's, it's like dating, right? In a way, there's a there's like a romance period and you're just like, everything's cool and everything's new. And then you kind of go through a couple of years of experiencing these traditions a couple of times. And 
it's super charming. And then if you, if you stay open and you keep that sort of traveler's mindset, I feel like, yeah, like just like at home, you keep enjoying those traditions, but it's not all, it's never the same as like the first time you did. Exactly. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like there are certain things that, you know, you get used to and you love and, um, you know, things like having the multi-course meal and, you know, certain spending uh, hours eating lunch and drinking wine, which is what we imagine you guys all do over there. (laughs) Well, I mean, it kind of is what everybody does over here. (laughs) Um, and things like, you know, the, you know, going to different food tastings and trying different like regional specialties and, and things like that, that, yeah, you get used to. And then people ask me like, Oh, you know, how's living in France and is it wonderful? And I'm like, well, it's kind of like living anywhere, You know, you just kind of get used to it. And there's this baseline of like, yeah, I go out and get my baguette every day. And uh, occasionally I'll get a crepe. You know, when I'm walking in the street, I'll get a Nutella crepe for a snack at, you know, l'heure du goûter at 430 in the afternoon. And, you know, things like that, that that just kind of seem normal. Yeah. Um, But it's that baseline that you're looking at, right? You mentioned that the baseline is, well, it's like, oh, yeah. Well, it's like, yeah, living your normal life and, and, and this is the baseline for me. But when the baseline is a lot of things that you enjoy a- about life, then that's maybe a reason to uh, relocate to a place, right? Yeah. I mean, when I when I first moved here, um, I lived my, my very first year here. I lived on Avenue de Bretagne, which is over on the left bank. It's right by Invalide. And I could walk to uh, uh, like a rotary or a traffic circle about maybe a hundred meters away from my apartment and look directly at the Eiffel Tower. And so I would go out at night sometimes every, you know, cause every hour on the hour, it sparkles for a couple of minutes. And I would go out sometimes at night just to see it. And it was like the coolest thing. And now, you know, I, I very rarely get over, I live on the other side of Paris, um, a little bit outside the city. So I very rarely get all the way over there. But, you know, it's, it's beautiful, but it's lost its newness. And if I'm going over there, like, I'm much more likely to be annoyed at Taurus and to be annoyed <laughs> at, you know, the other, uh, other side of it, right? Right. There's Taurus. There's like the people who they're called like Vendor à la Sauvette, where they're, they're selling like the little Eiffel Tower keychains and they're, you know, usually undocumented and not legal sellers of anything. And so they're kind of a little bit sketchy sometimes. You know, they've now built a wall. Like you used to be able to just walk right under the Eiffel Tower. Um, And now they've sort of built a wall around it so that you need a ticket to get into that walled part and you have to get your bag checked and it's a whole thing um, that it wasn't eight or 10 years ago. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the newness wearing off is of course a part of just settling down somewhere. Right. But I do think that a lot of that comes with the mindset, right? I'm sure there are some days if you walk by something and maybe you've seen it a thousand times, but you just renew your appreciation for it randomly for whatever reason. And that happens to me, you know, around here when I'm, you know, if I'm having like a bad day, generally I might, I might not see those things, but even just this morning I dropped my kids off at daycare and I was walking back and there's a forest right out front of my house. And I was thinking that is one beautiful forest there. The fog was settling in there and it just was a good gratitude check sometimes, which I think when you live abroad for an extended period of time, 
there are always going to be things you miss about your home country, but I feel like, yeah, the gratitude for where you are and appreciating those things and trying to enjoy them because we never know how long we're going to, you never know where life's going to take you, right? I think that's good, or at least for me, for my soul to just kind of keep the gratitude flowing. And when it gets tough, like a long winter in Norway, you find you keep finding the things to appreciate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I do that. And I, I talk to, um, I run the Americans in France Facebook group, which has 15,000 people in it. And so, you know, when I, whenever I talk to somebody from that group, I ask them like, what do you really love about living here? And I get reminded, you know, like it is really beautiful. If you go to a nice neighborhood in Paris and you just walk down any random street, you're going to see gorgeous architecture. like. And, you know, art in public spaces. And you can go to some of the best museums in the world. And we actually just went um, a couple of weeks ago to, back to the Louvre for the first time since before COVID. And I think for me, it had probably been about four or five years since I'd gone. Um, I remember taking family members when my son was a baby, but it's hard to bring a three-year-old or a two-year-old to the Louvre. Tell me about um, it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you kind of like don't do those. Don't touch that Mona Lisa. Some... No, no, yeah. no, no. Please don't knock over that hundreds statue. Hundreds of millions of dollars now. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So I spent a lot of time, you know, a, a lot of time in the past couple of years not doing a lot of those famous things. But when I was a student, like I had, um, you know, the student ID that got me into any museum for free. And I would just go sometimes for the afternoon and sit in the Musée d'Orsay. Like there's the, the sculpture garden, or there's one in the Louvre too, with the Greek and Roman statues. And just sitting there, like surrounded by art. And yeah, so cool. Right. And it was one of the things that really, I felt like it nurtured me when I first got here and I was kind of lonely and I didn't have a lot of friends. And I just really tried to seek out and it was probably one of the things that made me feel really good when I was first living here was being able to seek out those very beautiful places and just be in them. And at the time, too, for free. Uh, now I'm old and have to pay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. 
This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now back to the show. You mentioned making friends. I mean, that's something I do want to talk about in that I'm sure that can be some general advice in there for all travelers spending an extended period. I mean, a lot of people listening, I know you know, might not move abroad for years, but may, you know, spend months at a time or even weeks at a time in a place. So uh, we're trying to get some, some other practical tips mixed in here for you, uh, but also keep some things specific to France. And I do want to get into a bit of a how-to section now, because I want to see if I'm missing anything here, because there's a broader question that can cover the different ways in which one can move to another country. We're going to use France as the specific example and talk about some of the visas and things like that. But these are strategies that I think you can apply to other countries, just getting like the broad view. Now, I've listed three, but I'm sure there are are more. So the three ways that I, I kind of listed during my brainstorm is you can study in another country, right? You can get a job in another country. Or you can start a business in another country. Now, there's a lot within there, but as far as like the main ways to kind of stick around a place, am I missing anything there? Volunteering, maybe? Well, volunteering is more, you know, you can volunteer as a tourist, um, but there's also just retirement. Um, there are some really good, um, you know, in France, it's called a visitor visa. In Spain, it's called like a non lucrativo visa. There's one for Portugal as well where basically, you know, you promise that you're not going to work and you can just, you have to have, you have to have enough money to be able to not work. Oh, darn. Um, I was just going to say, cause I could do that. Hey guys, I'm coming. I promise not to work. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The um, employers have to actually check, you know, your visa before they hire you and make sure that they can. Um, and same thing, if you try to register a business here, it's not going to work if you have a visitor visa. And, and then the two other ways that are a little bit more particular is if you marry a French person or okay, yeah, you're, or you're, yep. or I knew this was an incomplete list. I just wasn't sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. I did marriage. How did I miss that one? <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I did marriage. Um, <laughs> still doing it, I think. Yeah. So you can marry a French person or, um, or marry an EU citizen. So the procedures are a little bit different based on if you're married to a French person, like France follows French law and you have to apply for a visa beforehand. And there are certain, you have to register your marriage with France and there, there's bureaucracy involved. Um, and then for Europeans, it's actually a, even a little bit easier if you 
have a European passport, you can just show up. So I have clients or I have members in my group who are Americans by by birth or, you know, they've lived there, but they also have heritage that allows them to get a European passport. So some Irish and Italian uh, descendants who can get passports that way. Um, and then, yeah, being the spouse or getting married to a European citizen allows the couple to live and work in France as well. Yeah. Well, I guess I didn't include that one because I was looking more at, at the things yeah. that people can control, right? I mean, yeah, that's kind of hard to control. Although you can seek out, like, I mean, you can seek out French people to date <laughs> or European people to date. Yes, you could do that if you wanted <laughs> like, to. That's true. All right. So, I mean, you've written four books on this uh, topic of, of living, settling down either permanently or temporarily in France. So I was just wondering, you know, for France specifically, what are a few of the sort of easiest ways for somebody to come and spend some good quality time in France? So if somebody is under 35 and doesn't necessarily want to come permanently, there are a lot of great temporary work programs um, for many nationalities. There's the Franco-American Chamber of Commerce program or uh, a work holiday visa, not for Americans, but for other nationalities um, that allow you to come and live and work in France for up to a year and a half. Um, there's also temporary programs like TAPIF, which are, um, which is the teaching assistant program in France. I did that for two years. You teach in a French elementary, middle, or high school, teach English, um, teach is perhaps a strong word for what it actually is, but, um, but it's a good, it's a good foot in the door for a short period of time. And especially something like TAPIF, you know, you're not necessarily in Paris or in a big city. You're really going out and experiencing France among French people because it's a lot of small towns. It's not, you know, you're not with other Americans, etc. There's also, you know, studying for two years in France and earning a degree from a French university. There are more and more degree programs that are being offered in English. It's a very small number still, but it's growing. And if you earn a an degree... Expensive? Wait, sorry to interrupt. But is that sorry? Um, no, it's not. It's not as expensive as a U.S. university tuition fees have gone up. But when I first arrived in France, I enrolled in a master's program with a year with a year of health insurance for four hundred and fifty euros. Whoa! Yeah, and my degree was in fairy tales, so you know, <laughs> not a degree I wanted to spend forty five thousand dollars on. <laughs> Once upon a time, you paid four hundred and fifty dollars for an, a, a, a master's degree. That's that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it it was quite awesome. So, where would somebody lo- get more information on that? Maybe we can leave some links or get some resources here. Yeah, so I mean, I obviously talk about the study option in my book, Foolproof French Visas. But a great place to start is Campus France, which is the French government. A website for students, international students who want to come and live and study in France. And they have a catalog of programs where you can search and you can find programs that are in English and you can find programs in your field of study. And there's an application process that has to be done through them. Now we're in March. It's too late for fall 2022. Um, but you could start looking at different programs for uh, applications in fall 2022 for the following 
fall of 2023. Um, I want to point out too that if you study for two years in a French university and get a degree, uh, you can be eligible for a visa called Recherche d'emploi, Création d'entreprise, um, job seeking and creating a business. So basically, it's an extra year after you finish your studies to either find a job or start a business. And that enables you to stay in France much more easily and to switch your visa status into something else. So if you want to stay long term, like studying is a really good way to uh, to get your foot in the door. And you just want to make sure that, you know, you're studying in a field where you're going to be hired relatively easily afterwards. Like fairy tales might not, in comparative literature, might not be the best option for that, for example, um, because you do have to get a job or start a business sort of related to your field. But it makes it really easy for an employer to hire you afterwards without having to sponsor you or prove that they tried to hire a French person um, or European. Hmm. But I like anything like that where you have the opportunity to just as a general strategy here for any country, right? It's it's like if you go and, and study a certain thing, if that's something you want to do, you're you're getting a degree, you're getting an experience, you're getting permission to stay somewhere, you're also getting a chance to see if you like it. And with something like that in France, if you decide you do like it, it's nice to know that there's a path to continue your life there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you know, you can always go home and not finish your degree program or switch your field of studies or sure. whatever. Right. Um, I mean, but, what's the worst that happens? You lose your 450 euro deposit on your... On yeah, your basically. Basically, you don't renew your visa and you leave. It's a really good option. And the student visa even gives you the right to, um, if you're enrolled in a degree program, you can do an internship, you can work part-time up to 964 hours per year. Um, but is that age specific, this university? The student visa is not age age specific. You can no. be a student at any age. The one thing I would caution, though, is obviously once you get um, the sort of the older you get, the more they're going to scrutinize, OK, why is this person um, deciding to enroll in another degree program at this time? Is this something that's really necessary for their career? Um, you know, what are their motive? Yeah, what are their motivations? And then, of course, there's the challenge of you still once you have to finish once you finish your degree program, if you want to stay and convert your visa to something else, you still need to find a job or start a business or something. So if you're in your 50s or later, you know, there's still ageism in hiring. There's still retirement age in France is between 62 and 65, sort of depending on, you know, depending on the industry. So it's a lot harder to get hired at places when you're that far advanced in your career, um, especially if you're switching into a new field and you would be doing something more entry level. What if you don't want to study? You just want to make something happen. You're like, I'm going to get there and I'm going to spend some good quality time in France. What's the, what's the easiest path right now? So for me, the easiest path and the one that I help my clients with the most is starting a business. And there are four different visa options for that, depending on how involved, or even five, really, depending on how involved you want your business to be. Um, it can be as simple as, you know, you're self-employed and you're a podcaster and podcast editor and virtual assistant, and you work for yourself and you want to 
do that in France and you have some French friends or potential French clients or potential European clients, and you're going to earn 1,600 euros per month, and you can show that you have opportunities. A bit of a digital nomad visa in some ways. Kind of, yeah. And except, I mean, you do have to register uh, a business or a business activity in France. There's not really such a thing as a digital nomad visa for France. Um, And I do want to mention at some point that you should not show up and try to work remotely in France on a visitor visa. Um, But the self-employment route is fairly straightforward. It's a little bit of work to prepare the visa application, probably more than most of the other ones, but it gives you a one-year visa. You can come, you can work for yourself. It doesn't matter where your clients are. If you lose one client, you get another client. It doesn't matter. Um, You know, your visa isn't tied to any particular client in the same way that it would be tied to an employer that hired you and sponsored you to come here. And so... It's really just up to you to sort of surpass that basic level of financial sustainability in order to renew your visa. And then after you have one year, you can get up to four years when you renew, and then you can get up to 10 years and get a long-term resident card. And at some point, you know, you can apply for naturalization, and then you can apply for normal jobs, and you get a lot more, a lot more freedom and flexibility. So it's a good long-term, it's a good long-term path. Okay. So you got four, mentioned five potential options to do that. Of course, this is what you do. I mean, you're a relocation consultant. Yes. Um, and <laughs> you, I, I specialize. You created a job for yourself called relocation. I think that's cool. Relocation consultant. Yeah. And actually, when I started doing it, I didn't know that it was a real job and that other people did it. I thought yeah. I was inventing it. I feel like it's probably business is booming for you right now. It is. And I think, you know, the relocation consultant field, part of the reason I didn't really know about it, aside from being 22 and not having, um, you know, money to pay for professional advice for this sort of thing. But a lot of people used to just move through companies. And so there are relocation agencies that cater to big businesses, but there is not a whole lot that cater to individuals in a way that sort of prioritizes the individual's goals and dreams and aspirations about what they want their move to be and what they want their life to be in uh, when they're moving abroad. And so you have, you know, immigration lawyers who will file paperwork, which you don't have to hire an attorney to uh, do immigration stuff in France unless, you know, unless you get a letter saying you're getting kicked out of the country or, you know, your visa is denied and you want to appeal it, like then, yes, you need a lawyer. But for most applications, it's really just administrative and you need to know what they're looking for and how to properly fill out the forms, but it's not, um, it's not legal per se. So there are these companies that will cater to, you know, people moving for their jobs and like big relocation packages. And then there are people um, that refer to themselves as handholders, which are more like, hey, I need help filling out my health insurance application. And it's like sort of one-off, small-level, you know, personal services of helping with minor administrative tasks. And what I've sort of tried to do with my company is, is start from the idea of, okay, in an ideal world, if you could do anything that you wanted and live anywhere you wanted, assuming that it's France, because that's sort of the, the prerequisite, 
Um, where do you want to live? What do you want to be doing? What type of, how do you want to spend your days? How do you want to make money if they're not retired? And from that, we sort of narrow down into, okay, are there jobs that are available here? If you want to spend, uh, if you want to be in a career, I don't help so much with that because searching for jobs and trying to get sponsored, uh, is quite difficult and you need like more recruiters and job coaches and stuff. So a lot of what I do with people is turning their ideas, whether they've already been self-employed or whether they've had an employer is turning that into a self-employment project that will, that will financially sustain them in France and then supporting them with all of the administrative and visa stuff that goes along with that. That's interesting. So it's a almost like a hybrid role. You're, you're helping them as a sort of career business coach, but also get, getting them to the place where they want to go. Yeah, it's part. Yeah, it's definitely part sort of life and business coaching. Um, although I've never done any sort of, you know, I, I don't have any coach certifications. Um, and then, yeah, and then and then laying out the administrative groundwork in France for them to be able to do that specific thing. So just to kind of wrap up the visa thing, and I, I know I think everybody after that, especially has a much better understanding about what you do. So if you need help with this, certainly reach out to Allison. Uh, but uh, as far as finding some of those visas that you mentioned, what where where would somebody start if they just wanted to read about it, do some research on their own? So there is a visa wizard on the France Visas website. It's france-visas.fr, um, I think. But what I do is, or one of the books that I've written is Foolproof French Visas. And this sort of gives you a whole overview of 27 visa types and the process that you would go through to apply for each one. And it goes through like, okay, how do you choose what visa is the right, is the right visa type for you? How do you weigh one visa type against another? What are your long-term options if you choose this visa? If you have this visa, can you change to another visa type? Um, what are the tax implications of having this visa? How do you have to register? Um, and it goes way beyond sort of the very basic document lists that are on the official sites. Now, the other thing that I'll say about the official sites is, well, I'll say two things. One is, uh, their documents list is very basic and it doesn't necessarily give you the full understanding of what you actually need to provide in order to be accepted. So for example, if you are applying for one of these business visa types that I discussed, uh, they'll have a document list. And on that document list, it says, you know, any document related to the viability of your project uh, and, you know, how you'll do it in France. Now, what they actually mean is you need to give them a business plan and it needs to include a certain number of things um, in order for them to understand your project and why you're doing it in France and what makes it a good fit. But they don't come out and say that. And as far as I know, I'm the only person on the internet who is actually giving people a form, <laughs> giving people a formula for how to do that um, and how to and how to put together that project. So, you know, you have to you have to take the official list with a little bit of a grain of salt that providing the bare minimum of what they suggest on the list is not necessarily going to get your visa approved. 
Now, the other thing is now in the US and Canada, all French visa applications have been outsourced to a company called VFS Global. And in the UK, they're outsourced to a company called TLS Contact. And VFS is in many other countries as well. I think they're in India and a few others. And so these private companies, their only mandate from the French government is to schedule the appointments and take the application. They don't know what documents you need. They can't answer questions about whether this document is sufficient or not. Um, Sometimes they tell people to give them documents that actually hurt their visa application and should not be included in the application. And it has been a very difficult transition from when the French consulate used to accept applications directly. So um, they are not a good source of information on visas, basically. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot more nuance to this than it appears on the surface. I do want to ask about your process because I'm looking for some advice here on, you mentioned kind of, all right, well, let's look at your daily life and, and what you might like to do and kind of translating that to maybe some different places in, in France. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously a consideration, right? Like, all right, well, yeah, I'm going to move to France. That's great. But where, where am I going to go? you know, what am I going to do? What do I want my days to look like? And I I feel like this is where we can really kind of uh, bring it, bring it to life. Right. So I I really, I think the the question here is about how do you live your best life abroad? And in this case in France, and what are some of the questions people should ask themselves? Then I want to get into some of the spaces or I should say the destinations in France. Sure. Um, I mean, Paris is sort of the obvious choice for a lot of people when they're starting out. And then a lot of people will spend a couple of years in Paris and then go elsewhere. I mean, Paris is expensive. It's big. Um, it's not everybody's cup of tea, um, especially now with everybody having been in lockdown for multiple weeks over the past few years. Um, a lot of people are now looking for that, you know, somewhere to live where they have outdoor space and you know, a different environment. Um, In terms of, you know, how to make that decision, I mean, it kind of depends. Do you want to be in a, in a city? Do you want to be in a town? Um, Do you want to have other English speakers around you or nearby? Do you want an international school for your children? Like there are bilingual and international schools all over France. Um, There's a, an association called AAWE, um, American Association of Women in Europe. And they have published a book about all of the different options for uh, bilingual education. So families that want their children to have a French and English option at school. And yeah, I mean, do you want to be, do you want to be in the country? Like France has, France has, you know, any type of geography you can imagine, you know, you can be near the ocean, you can be near a lake, you can be in the mountains, you can be uh, in the middle of nowhere on a farm. Um, You can be in a city. So it really depends on what kind of place you want to live. And then you want to think about things too, like accessibility to public transportation, you know, are you on the TGV? Are you near an airport? Because if you want to go home and visit your family, like, 
for me, I can, I'm 15 minutes from Charles de Gaulle. I can, when I go home, it's 15 minute drive to the airport and then a seven hour flight. So it's not quite as bad as, you know, spending a whole day to travel to Paris and then going from Paris to, and having multiple stopovers to get to a smaller city in the U.S. And then it also depends a little bit on your profession. Like we can talk a little bit about um, if you're in the tech industry or you're in any kind of, I work with a couple of clients who are in like digital marketing and they, and they work providing, you know, startup companies and tech companies with marketing or some kind of support in English. You want to probably be near a city like Grenoble where, you know, it's sort of the Silicon Valley of France and they have a lot of tech startups and things down there. Um, you know, each area sort of has their, uh, you know, their industries that are, that are a little bit different. Um, you know, if you're, if you're really into medieval history and you like love being a, and you want to be a tour guide, well, then you probably want to go and be in like the Loire Valley or in Normandy or, uh, in Brittany where there's a lot of those historical places and where a lot of tourists will go on, you know, their, their trips. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for that breakdown. Uh, I have a friend I was messaging who's a French teacher and she's another Francophile and studied abroad in France, of course, many years ago. And, you know, she, she mentioned, I said, well, what, what do you think I should ask Allison? Her name's Allison too. You know, do you have any other sort of perspectives on this? Because, you know, I, I'm, I have some ideas of what I want to talk about, but it's nice to get that outside perspective, especially from, from a French teacher who's a fellow Francophile and has spent time there. And she had said when, when she lived in France, she experienced racism because she's Jewish. And so she thought, well, it's a big deal to kind of know which areas have a large population of, uh, this isn't a political podcast, but, you know, I guess there's a certain political party there that, that is pretty anti-immigrant. And she was wanting your advice on, on maybe you could share with people how, how to help people navigate that because you don't want to move to a town and not feel welcome. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, that's an issue. Yeah. For, for Jewish people, unfortunately for, um, for Muslims and even just in places where there's some xenophobia, um, you know, I, I know of places where there are British people who have had problems, you know, from being British in a small town in the countryside. Um, so I do think that, you know, there's probably, there's neighborhoods in different cities where you'll probably feel more at ease. Like obviously cities tend to have a lot more diversity and be more welcoming, although that's not universally true either. Unfortunately, the South of France, like Nice, um, not Nice specifically, but like the Provence region of Southern France, where all the beautiful lavender is, is sort of known for being more politically conservative. And you can read into that what you want. What I would look at, like we have a we have a presidential election coming up in France that's in less than a month. So honestly, what I would look at if you're considering if you're considering where um, where you might want to go and if xenophobia or racism or anti-Semitism or Islamophobia, et cetera, et cetera, um, are something that would affect you, I would look at 
which presidential candidates get voted for or which or uh, which representatives, which deputies and senators are being elected in which regions and what their positions are and what parties they belong to. You know, obviously it's not a perfect system and you can have racism and anti-Semitism coming from all angles, but like in the U.S., there are certain candidates that are more widely known for holding certain positions. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for that. Let's pause for a quick word from our sponsors. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago. And immediately, I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks. So they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now back to the show. Language. For me, it was a huge game changer to learn Norwegian, even in the beginning stages, starting to have the ability to decipher a little bit of, uh, about what was going on around me. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> getting out of my own head and instead of it being background noise, I was able to tune in and start having conversations with relatives and things like that. And, you know, it just got better and better. So it, it made a huge difference in terms of quality of life for me. What should be the expectation around language for people moving to France? Do they have to just embrace the fact that they're going to have to learn some French if you just don't want to do that? Is it even worth coming? I, just share your thoughts here. Um, if you don't want to learn French, you want to be in either Paris or like Nice, you know, one of the one of the really big cities where there's a lot of English speakers. Um, but that being said, you're going to miss out on a lot. Um, I mean, France has really improved their English language skills, but you still miss out on, you know, you miss out on so much culture, you miss out on even things like people are just not going to be as helpful to you in stores and things like that. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily uh, always xenophobia. I think partly it is just, you know, they don't know how to communicate and be as helpful to you in a foreign language 
in the same way that you don't know how to ask the, the right questions and, you know, and sort of gently manipulate them into helping you to do what you need to do um, if you don't speak the language. Now, I came to France already being pretty fluent in French. I studied it from middle school. I majored in French in university. I went to Middlebury College uh, and was in their French language school during the summers where I was required to speak French 24 hours a day for seven weeks with everybody else who was there. So I came to France speaking French. That being said, it's still really hard to talk about everyday life things because when you learn French in school, you're learning things like, I like to go surfing at the beach and it is going to rain outside. <laughs> you know, <laughs> do you want to buy a baguette at the grocery store? Um, you know, like the really basic um, like school French. And I could write about like li- symbolism and allusion in different literary works and how that related to French history at the time. But I didn't know how to say things like, where can I buy a charger for my telephone? (laughs) Or like, how do I cancel my contract for my internet service? (laughs) So, you know, no matter how much preparation you have, and I'll never forget my, my first experience using French sort of in the wild. We took a school trip to Quebec um, when I was in the 10th grade and I was so proud of myself. I did the whole transaction. I, I bought some souvenir type thing in France and I was so proud of myself until at the end of the transaction, the woman asked me if I wanted my receipt in the bag. And I was just not prepared for that question. I had no idea what she was saying until she said it in English. And it's just that kind of thing where, you know, if you sort of know what the conversation is, what the script is going to be, then you can do a really good job. But once you get into one of those sort of unexpected situations where you don't, you can't predict what's going to happen next, you know, you end up being left out or feeling embarrassed or, you know. Yeah. But it's also why we go abroad, right? We, we don't want to predict what's going to happen next all the time. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so that's part of the, yes. But I, I appreciate that because the language thing is obviously a big question for people. Personally, I think it's good to to take the effort to learn the language. Even if you know you might only be there for a short period of time, maybe you can learn a little bit. It at least helps to open up conversations. But I appreciate your your thoughts on that. I'm curious, as we're kind of getting to the end here, because you run the Americans in France Facebook group, and I'm a part of the Americans in Norway Facebook group. It seems like these Facebook groups exist probably in every country. and you know, a lot of posts with American food halls, I call them, right? Like somebody goes back to the States and they just post a picture of uh, their suitcase full of like Lucky Charms and, you know, whatever. Like for me, it's Trader Joe's chocolate or cheese. Uh, for me, it's Trader Joe's lemon pepper. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I'm just wondering, as good as French food is, <laughs> do you find that people do the same thing over there? Like, yay for my, you know, crappy junk food thing that I missed. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I live in Paris, so there are actually a couple of stores that sort of cater to that and you can go and get treats. Like you can, you can go and get a box of Lucky Charms. It'll cost you 12 euros. Oh yeah. It costs like 20 bucks here. It's crazy. Yeah. If you really want one, you could go and get it. 
And I mean, I think people sort of tend to bring more of that stuff at the beginning. And I know that for me, I've brought less and less as time goes by. But yeah, I mean, I still, um, and, and part of that too is now you can get certain things that here that you couldn't get. Um, you know, I can go to my local grocery store and buy a bag of marshmallows, which is not the case, wasn't the case 10 years ago. Um, and, you know, things like that that I used to bake. Yeah, I mean, there, there's always, you know, I would say probably once a month or maybe once or twice a, uh, every two months or something, we get some kind of post like, oh, I'm going back, you know, either what should I bring for a gift or what should I bring back with me for my French friends. And it's always things like, um, it used to be a lot of maple syrup and peanut butter. Now those have become more widespread, um, more widely available. Um, but yeah, I always say a lot of times it's Mexican ingredients because there's not a lot of good Mexican or spicy food here. I have the misfortune of having that. I don't like cilantro. It tastes like soap gene. So Mexican is not a cuisine that I often partake in. Um, but it's a recommendation that I see a lot. Um, I asked my, my mom's coming to visit in the spring and I asked her to bring me a jar of banana peppers. Yeah. Um, it's always some random thing. Cause my mom comes over and then I'm just like, can you bring this, this, and this? And she's like, what? Okay. Yeah, sure. I'll bring you a can of pumpkin. And yeah, we really like the, um, the, the mini baby Ruth candy bars and the, um, the Hershey's cookies and cream. So she, she usually brings those or we get those when we go back. Um, but yeah, for me, usually it's like the Trader Joe's lemon pepper or any Trader Joe's spice mixes. I have a bunch of them in my cabinet. Um, Listen, I'll just throw it out there. If anybody shows up uh, at my house to visit and they're coming from uh, the States, please bring me some peanut butter cups. From ooh, We can, we can yeah. get the Reese's peanut butter cups here, but you know, there's the take five or there's like the Trader Joe's peanut butter. Oh, you know, Trader Joe's peanut, tra- butter, peanut butter cups are so yeah. good. Anyway, yeah. we don't, we're not doing a food podcast. So, you know, it's funny <laughs> as much as a, you know, the French pastries are so good, right? I mean, we have a French bakery where I used to live in Oslo and it just makes the best bread and croissants and everything. I'm just like, really? They just nail it. So yet still, when you live abroad, sometimes you're going to reach for that bag of marshmallows over the freshly cooked. <laughs> and like as much as Croissant. I love, you know, you go you go to the bakery and you'll get like these light and fluffy, you know, tartelette with strawberries or whatever but you know sometimes i just want a cupcake (laughs) you know (laughs) with the american buttercream frosting and i bake so i make all that stuff myself but then i have to eat it all because you know when you bake cupcakes you end up with 25 of them so yeah i just want to go for a key lime pie you know where am I supposed to get my key lime pie? I can't get anyway. Yeah, you're, you're we're not. Yeah, we could go on and on. <laughs> uh, I did want to finish up by asking you about your passion for this work you're doing. You know, you could have started a lot of different types of businesses. You didn't have to also help people relocate to France the same way you have. Why do you? Why do you do this? Um, well, honestly, it it goes back to. I mean, when I started the business, it was. I was so excited to have done my degree in a French university for 450 euros. I had studied abroad um, with an American program as an undergraduate and spent American tuition and gotten an American student loan and all of that stuff. And when I studied here independently 
for 450 euros, I was doing all the same classes because the American program put me in classes at the French university that they weren't paying for. So, you know, I kind of felt or started feeling like I, you know, it wasn't worth it to enroll in one of the expensive programs just to be in Paris. And so I started writing about, okay, well, how could somebody, how could somebody do this if they wanted to study independently and avoid those big programs? You know, obviously the disadvantage is you have to navigate your own visa. You have to find your own housing. You have to uh, do your own enrollment. You have to get your own health insurance, like all of those things that are not taken care of by the program. So that was sort of where it started. And I started writing about how to do it. And it was back in the day of the heyday of blogging was just sort of coming to an end. It just sort of, you know, there were there were all these like professional bloggers who had been writing about how to blog and then threw up some Google ads on their site and were like raking in the cash from Google ads. And I sort of thought that was going to work. But it was really, I think the heyday of that was like 2004 and I was starting in 2011. 10, 11. Um, So it wasn't really a strategy anymore. And I sort of started thinking about, okay, how do I turn this into services? And so for a while I was helping students. Um, And then I started getting more and more questions about how do you start a business? How do you get a visa for that, et cetera? And I think for me, what really drew me to the work is I'm somebody with a lot of ideas and I'm very intellectually curious and I love working on developing a lot of different projects. So the thing that I really enjoy Um, When I'm helping a lot of different clients start a lot of different businesses is I can have like my fingers in all these different pies, but then I don't have to actually run the business. Like they go off and do that. You're like, Um, yeah, this is a great idea. Go off and enjoy yourself. Yeah, like I (laughs) love helping talk through the idea and develop it and what are the services going to be. And it's a lot of fun and it's a lot of brainstorming and it's a lot of creativity. Um, And it's really like helping to figure out how to get them supported when, you know, during their move. And it's helping somebody to follow a dream too. You know, it's for most of my clients, most of my clients are not, you know, we have the fortune um, and the extreme privilege of moving to a country just because we want to. Right. I mean, and this is something that's been weighing on my mind with, you know, Ukraine and with all of the other different situations where people are moving because they don't have opportunities at home because they're fleeing something. Um, And that's not the case for anybody that I work with. You know, we make jokes about fleeing a certain administration or, you know, not wanting to be involved, you know, wanting to leave because of certain political things. But it's not a question of safety. It's really it's really following a passion and following. It's um, a privilege. Yeah. And I had one client tell me, you know, this is a dream that I've had for 30 years that is coming true. You know, there, there's something that I've, that I've tried to be more and more appreciative of recently is that, you know, not only am I helping people to, you know, people are entrusting me with helping them to make a dream happen. Um, and that's, that's really a gift. Um, and I think too, you know, when you have, when you're working with somebody who is excited about your project and who believes in your project, um, no matter what it is, you know, this could apply to any area of your life. But a lot of times, if you talk about your, your friends and your family around you about some big dream that you have, they're going to be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's nice. But for somebody to really get excited along with you and go, okay, how can we make that happen? You know, I want to I want to help you see how we can make this work. And that's really a lot of fun. And it's and it's and it's nice to see 
how people can get excited about realizing that their dreams are actually possible. Yeah. It is very rewarding to be able to help make a dream come true for sure. Right. Thanks for that. And your website, yourfranceformation.com. Very clever, by the way. You have a podcast and a free assessment and there's all the stuff and the books and everything. Is there anything else I'm missing? I feel like that's the hub for you. So people should just. Yeah, that's kind of the hub. Yeah, that's kind of the hub. And um, I mean, if you are thinking of moving to France, like the the place to start is the foolproof French visas book, because um, that sort of lays out all your options and gives you an idea of how long it'll take to apply and what you should start thinking of in terms of how much money do you have to have in the bank and all of the nitty gritty about the move. Cool. Well, thanks, Allison. And Thank I you. really appreciate your time. It's fun chatting with you. Let's stay in touch. Yeah, great. Thank you for having me. That was a lot of fun. All right. Take care. There you have it. Hope you enjoyed my chat with Allison. I want to say thanks once again to her for sharing her advice on how to move to France and some of the big questions around living abroad in general. Are you living abroad right now? Where are you at? Are you considering it? Where are you going? Perhaps you want to just spend some quality time in a place. Would love to hear what you're up to. Leave me a voicemail, drop me an email, let me know, and let me know what I can create or record or write or build to help you live your best life abroad or out there on the road. That's what this is all about. And that two-way communication certainly is key to bringing what it is that you want. As we all dive into the second half of this year at the time of recording, and I'm considering a lot of projects. I don't know where you're at. I'm just considering a lot of things per the usual. And I wanted to share with you some of the recent travels and the big travel fail I made this summer. Now, I knew going into this summer that I was making this mistake consciously. And I'm wondering what this means for the future because as our lives change, we end up in different seasons of life, different stages. And right now with two small kids, I'm restricted with certain parts of travel, right? I mean, they got the summer off and the summer's when all the stuff happens. I typically like to travel in off season or shoulder season. But what I did, what we did as a family, we had a crazy theme park run. At Disney World, there was three days and just spent two days in the Dierparken in Kristiansand, which is in southern Norway. First, we stopped by Risur, where uh, my bandmate lives. I play in a rock band here in Norway called Laundry House, and we played a gig in this town, an outdoor festival. It was so cool just to be outside, see my kids there, play a set. It was awesome. And then we stayed in this really nice historic little hotel. It was just wonderful. Of course, the town was packed, but small town, manageable. Then we went down to the theme park. Now, we'd already done three days at Disney uh, just a few weeks ago. And here we were back at a theme park at the peak of theme park season with the kids. And <laughs> my wife and I looked at each other. We're like, oh my gosh, we're, we're never doing this again. Like we need to go in the fall when things are chill or whatever the case is, whatever theme park you're going to. Of course, we had a great time. I'm, I'm being a little dramatic here, but um, it was packed. And 
I, I swear, I'm like, I'm never going to a theme park again during peak season. I'm just not doing it. But I know I'm in that season in life when it might just be the summers are the times when you can do certain things as a family. I don't know. That's why I didn't want to say, you know, if you see me making this travel fail again, just smack me um, because, you know, I might have to knowingly, willingly make it again just because of circumstance. But at all costs, if you can avoid going to a theme park during the peak season, please do yourself a favor and avoid it because eh, those theme parks can get pretty crazy, pretty, pretty crazy. All right. Thanks. Thanks for being here in the community. Thanks thanks for being a listener. Thanks for being you. I'm going to leave you with a quote today from Bruce Lee. I mentioned it quickly at the top. I don't necessarily fully agree with this quote, but I get the spirit of it. The quote is, the more we value things, the less we value ourselves. Now, as sort of a minimalist at, at heart, but not necessarily in practice right now, because again, certain seasons in life, there are a lot of toys and things that keep accumulating around here and and thankfully the grandparents um like to treat the kids and and all that stuff but um i'm not used to having this much stuff around but i look over here in my office at you know my guitars or a picture that um my dad drew that i have framed up in my office or my colorado license plate from back home some of the things i have around my office here my my little recording studio and I value those things, but some of those things, they don't necessarily make me feel tied down. They're tools, like the guitar is a tool for creativity. Uh, Perhaps some of the more meaningful things I have around are also a tool for creativity or inspiration or just a reminder that I'm loved or a reminder of a place that I love. But I get what Bruce Lee said here. The more we value things, the less we value ourselves and there is a line between um you know enjoying these things and also putting too much value into them and i thought that was an interesting quote because it had a lot of different uh parts to it in some ways so i'm going to leave you with that you can chew on that one as you go about your day and get in touch let me know what you thought of this show let me know what you want to hear in a future show smile have a wonderful day let me know if you moved to france And thanks for your time. I'll see you next week. Peace and love. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality. 